Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. This is Dmitry Samarov from Chicago, Illinois, and I love listening to Vishkana's creative control because whether he's talking to a favorite musician or actor of mine or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend, and the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. Sam Prekop and John McIntyre are each well-respected and hugely influential American musicians who currently and respectively call Chicago, Illinois and Portland, Oregon home. While working with his own band Tortoise and tending to interests in audio engineering and production, McIntyre encountered Prekop at a Chicago recording studio in the mid-1990s when the latter was working on a solo record and needed a drummer. From this session, the two began playing in the band The Sea and Cake, while continuing to pursue their respective interests, all of which continues nearly 30 years later. But now, and for the first time ever, Precop and McIntyre have created a true musical duo collaboration under their own names and released their debut album, a stunning, bubbling exploration of electronic and synthesized music. The record is called Sons Of. It's out July 22, 2022 via Thrill Jockey Records and it prompted Sam and John to return to this show for a chat about loving life in Portland and Chicago, McIntyre's appreciation for Precop's old eclectic band Shrimp Boat, their friendship origin story, studying music, physical drumming, drum machines and synthesizers, agreeing to do a European tour before ever playing together, music consumption habits, two cats and Scott Walker, future plans, and much more. 
a part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners just like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control, which is the primary source of income for this uh, podcast, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 704 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Sam Prekop and John McIntyre, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, John. How you doing? Great. Nice to talk to you again. Where in the world are you? Yeah, it's been a minute. I'm in Portland, Oregon. Yes. Uh, it's hard to keep track of you. You're like, uh, what's that woman's name? Carmen Sandiego? Where in the world <laughs> is John McIntyre? Have you moved around? Like, I knew you left Chicago. Maybe we even talked about that. Uh, have you lived in a couple different places since you left Chicago? Uh, yeah, I was in L.A. briefly, and then a small town in Northern California, and then landed here about three years ago. Right. Do you want to tell us a little bit about why all the hopscotching? <laughs> There's not much to tell. I initially thought I was going to settle down in L.A. with my wife now, and that just didn't work out for a variety of reasons. Okay. And we really liked this little town in Northern California, so we uh, decided to try give that a try. But it was uh, a little too small for us, and mm. um, I don't know, it just... I still have family in Portland because I grew up here, and this just felt like a better landing spot. Hmm. Nice. Well, no, it's. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to pry. By the way, this isn't. Like oh no, no. Some sort of border crossing interrogation. I just <laughs> just was curious because you. Every time I talk to one of our mutual colleagues, I'd say, "Oh yeah, John's uh, in this city," and they're like, "Nope, not anymore." I'm like, "What? Okay, <laughs> right, hard, hard to right. keep track." And so you've brought the. Uh, you you are known as uh, having a studio. Everything's with you. You're doing stuff in Portland, recording and whatnot. Yeah, okay. yeah, great. I'm just working out of the house, but yeah, mm-hmm. excellent. That's great. And Sam, are you there? I'm here. Yeah. Hello. Nice to nice to speak with you again. Where in the world are you, Sam? I'm in Chicago. How are things going in Chicago for you today? Uh, it's a beautiful day. It's fine. Everything's good. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, how long have you been in Chicago again? It's been a long time, right? Very long, yeah. I mean, I grew up here, basically, and I've not lived anywhere else, I guess, really. Hmm. So, yeah, long time. What do you make of uh, everybody you know from Chicago leaving, it seems like, to me, on the outside? It seems like a lot of people have left. I would love to leave, too. <laughs> <laughs> you clearly love it. It's I love Chicago. I don't know if I'll ever get to go there again. Uh, some for some reason that's just a looming thought I have about every place in the world for some reason. But uh, you love it clearly. It's it's uh, you don't really want to leave, do you, Sam? No, I, it, it's fine. I do, I do. Love, I feel like I don't take advantage of it as much as I used to. You know, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm always at home in my studio kind of thing. It could be, you know, post COVID sort of hangover sort of thing. But um, yeah. It is a lovely town. I love the neighborhood I live in, which is 
I consider one of the better areas in Chicago. It's very vibrant and it looks great. It's sort of still very old looking and sort of funky in a good way. It's called Pilsen. And so, yeah, I think it's good. Uh, just to flip this back to John, uh, and I, because John, I, I wonder, do you get homesick for Chicago? You spent most of your life in Chicago, I would say. It seems to me anyway. Do you miss it at all? There are aspects of it that I definitely miss, but, um, very, very happy to be here now for sure. You're very, you're very pro Portland all of a sudden. You've, you're a Portland booster. <laughs> <laughs> very much. You know, and Sam's saying there are things he wish he could uh, take more advantage of in Chicago. Do you know what he's getting at? Like, if you were in, if you were to head to Chicago, what would you absolutely have to do? I'm just curious. This is not, by the way, the whole premise of this conversation is not for travel and tourism. I'm just making a little uh-huh. bit of small talk. But if you were to go to Chicago, is there something that uh, you'd definitely want to be doing? Oh, I'd go to Lula Cafe first. Okay. Well, why is that? <laughs> it's just, that was sort of my neighborhood restaurant and, you know good friends with the owners and people on staff there. It's just a, it's a wonderful place. I see. Okay. Sam, do you ever go to that uh, cafe? I agree. I do. Yeah. It's been a while, but yes, nice. it's a love, lovely uh, place. Nice. For well, sure. it's great to have you both uh, back on the, uh, the show. Um, and I, I can't wait to talk about this new release of yours. It's great. Uh, but um, I think just to set the scene a little bit, uh, I wonder about uh, getting into how you two first encountered each other. A little bit of a, a memory jog exercise, and I apologize in advance, but uh, I think it's maybe relevant, germane. Uh, and I wonder how you first encountered each other, either by reputation or by actually meeting. Uh, because sometimes you hear about people and what they're up to before you actually meet them. John, do you have any recollection of uh, how you first encountered Sam or Sam's work? Well, I was familiar with his previous band, Shrimp Boat, and had seen them a number of times when I'd first moved to Chicago and I was a big fan and um, I guess we sort of got to know each other by happenstance, I suppose, because I started working at a studio uh, called Idful that um, one of his bandmates owned. And um, this was really the kind of the beginning of the sea and cake was uh, that Sam was working on what was at the time considered to be a solo record, which turned out to be, the first C and Cake record, and um, I'd gotten invited in to play drums on a few tracks. I see. You weren't engineering at, the, or were you engineering at that studio? I was not engineering that record. No, no. But were you working at that studio? Is that what you were saying? Sorry, I might have missed yes, that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just okay. started. Yeah. Okay. I think that was where we first met, probably. Right, John? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. In yeah. in Idfall. Yeah. 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 I see. Okay. That's so wild. so John, you're going to see Shrimp Boat, so you're seeing them. Uh, you're seeing mm-hmm. Sam, but you you never encounter him until you're in the studio. Is that what you're saying? Correct, yeah. Nice. Sam, what did you make of John in the studio <laughs> upon your first meeting? What did you make of him exactly? I guess I must have been aware that he knew how to play drums or his reputation preceded him as a drummer, mm. I guess, somewhat. And we were having trouble with the drummer that we were using. And I saw... A sort of opportunity and to fill the gap, uh, asked John if he would be interested in mm. trying to play. And I have to say, it was, um, it felt just right almost immediately. And we were, you know, all terribly excited. And that's the origins of the band, basically. That's how it jump started it. I think if it hadn't felt right or didn't seem to work out, you know, it would have just, 
it would have been okay for the solo record or whatever, but mm. um, it would seem to be more than that. And we took advantage of that excitement of that time. So it was good. It was pretty uncanny. I, th- I think we, we'd always like to say that we emerged fully formed because not only did those sessions go like effortlessly, we were also starting to write stuff within mm-hmm. a few weeks that is still in our repertoire. And it was like, okay, <laughs> the, there, there's the chemistry. Crazy, it's, yeah. all, it's all right there. Uh, just for people listening, Sam, how would you distinguish the sound of Shrimp Boat to what eventually became the sea and cake? Are they, are they similar? Are they, are they vastly different? Uh, both <laughs> vastly different and, and similar, I guess. Um, <laughs> I think Shrimp Boat suffered a bit from being overly eclectic, which was sort of the style of the time in a way. So I, I feel like the Sea and Cake was more focused in a more singular kind of way. I mean, Shrimp Boat was sort of great in that we would do like free jazz inspired piece and then a bluegrass kind of thing. But I think in terms of sort of longevity of the work, I think it has suffered a little bit from that. Whereas the C and Cake is more singular in a way, I guess, or more sort of focused. I think I mentioned that. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. John, what do you make of uh, the way Sam's distinguishing the two entities? What, does, does that resonate with you? It does, yeah. I, I think that's appropriate. I mean, one of the major things is that Shrimp Boat had multiple songwriters, mm. well, primarily Ian and Sam, mm-hmm. and they had very different voices as writers. So that's you know that contributes to the, to the eclecticism that he's speaking to for sure. Well, he also Sam uh, said something there about how that was maybe of its time that kind of eclecticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think back to that time. I was a young. I, I'm younger than than both of you, and was probably just uh, immersing myself in such. Uh, such diversity, if you will, of sound. Um, John, what do, you, what do you think was going on at the time, if you can think back on it, I mean, that would lead a, a band like Shrimp Boat, or yeah, I guess in particular a band like Shrimp Boat to be eclectic, as, as Sam puts it. Can you think of the time? What was going on? It's kind of hard to recall. Maybe Sam would have a better perspective <laughs> on it. <laughs> I mean, I think in a way it's a hallmark of like an art school band, which is what we were definitely. And I think actually... To be fair, not a lot of other bands were doing that exactly, but I'd say a big hallmark of it was like those Tom Waits records, Rain Dogs, that era, you know, where it's sort of dabbling in all kinds of stuff, Mm. but still distinctive in a way. And that was pretty influential on Shrimp Boat. But at the time in Chicago, Shrimp Boat sounded like nothing else either. You know, nobody else was mixing such disparate elements you know within one band kind of thing that's absolutely so in a way, true it's, yeah it's yeah. sort of like um i mean in a way you know we're sort of precursor to the whole like post-rock moniker that occurred later mm-hmm. in a way so i think definitely valuable foundation for what i would get up to later you know to be open to whatever catches your interest and to you know, express those interests in a band, in a rock band, basically, which might not immediately make sense to, 
you know, club goers at the time or whatever, but it was quite exciting at the time. But it's also, I think, yeah, like I mentioned, a hallmark of like the art band mentality, mentality towards like what makes sense as material and to think about and to do and pursue that it's all fair game in a way. Yeah. Sometimes when you're in a band and you're conceiving of a sound, it, it can be inspired by something like you mentioned the, those Tom Waits records. When you talk about art school bands, I can't help but think of the freedom of jazz and improvisation as well uh, being an influence. But right. um, I think also when you're conceiving of your own sound, it can be a reaction to other things going on. And like Sam, you say, there was no one in Chicago that quite sounded like that band at the time. So do you feel like the sound of Shrimp Boat and what became the Sea and Cake, were they reactions at all or... Uh, to what was going on in Chicago, per se, or maybe just like... You- we were not consciously reacting against anything. We were just doing what we wanted, basically. I see. <laughs> and okay. I think a big advantage I had is that I didn't really know how to play anything, so I had to learn to be expressive musically from zero hmm. point. You know, I was always a passionate listener and way always way into music, but in terms of... Uh, Finding my voice as a vocalist or guitar player or whatever, I had a lot of room to experiment and grow at that time. So, Now, that's an interesting point you raised. John, you studied drums and percussion formally, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and primarily, like when, like be, in the context of what we're going to be talking about with this project, you studied, uh, act, I don't know how to put this, physical drumming. Let's put it that way. How about that? Mm-hmm. Physical drumming. <laughs> yeah. Is that is that is, is that the what, what it's called in the business in the music biz? Physical drumming. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before, but I like it. <laughs> you, you studied. Uh, I like it too. You studied <laughs> formal physical drumming uh, at, at school for what was it like seven, eight years, something like that. Uh, yeah, I took. I had private instruction for about seven years. Yeah. 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 And and Sam, you're saying you had nothing. Like, what brought you to like? So, John, I understand your pathway to music uh, initially. It seemed like you you put yourself on that path by studying the way you did. Sam, how did you make the leap from a music fan and music listener to I want to contribute to this in my own way? Do you have any recollection of that? Well, I've yeah. I mean, I grew up always really being into music, and you know, I grew up around a great record collection. So all that foundation is you know, important, sort of instilled a passion for it in me. And I think it's mainly because Ian from Shrimpo knew how to play, sort of. I mean, we were hanging out a lot at art school, basically. And this is when the idea came about to sort of try and play something. And I think he was able to cover for the other people who didn't really know how to play much, but were had enough enthusiasm and sort of the gall to do it anyways mm. whether it sounded like music or not I mean the early shrimp boat stuff can be really quite abrasive and pretty you know difficult listening to be polite kind of around. <laughs> but that, that was not discouraging in the least I think I heard glimpses of what sounded like music and that was enough for me to like keep going and like wow this is crazy that I'm even making anything that resembles music slightly. So it was super exciting. You were kind of in awe of the fact that you were involved at all, is what you're saying, I think. In a way, yeah. I mean, I had no... I mean, the whole singing thing, I was like 
I had no ambitions to sing anything. It was just like, okay, someone's got to sing, so I guess I'll try it out. And that, that's how it started, basically. I think we talked about this before, the last time maybe you were on the show. Uh-huh. And I find that absolutely mind-boggling. You're such a great... Sorry, I don't mean to make you uncomfortable. John, can we agree Sam's like a wonderful singer? Like Just like a wonderful idiosyncratic and unique. oh fantastic yeah absolutely well, absolutely thanks. fantastic okay. yeah yeah just this is the point of this call it was a compliment <laughs> intervention we just wanted you to feel good and uh i it's baffling to me that you didn't know it's always i love stories like this when the uh you know one of a kind artist doesn't even realize what they got um john do you feel like you played any role or you are you and your colleagues i should say in sort of you know helping sam find his voice both as a singer as we've been discussing but as a musician, like just encouraging him, those sorts of things? Well, I, I mean, I feel like we all kind of grew up together, you know, mm. in a sense, especially my two main projects. Like, there's been such a long and interesting evolution of how raw and <laughs> unpolished we were when we started. And, like, not that we're any <laughs> different than <laughs> that now, but we've gone through gone through a lot of changes. And, um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Sam, do you feel that like did, did this these bands and working with John in particular, um, did it bring something out of you that you know the thing we've been talking about, this magic you have? Sorry, Sam, I'm sorry. This is very uncomfortable for everyone. I'm sure. I but. mean, I um, <laughs> I feel like I always just follow the work, you know, and, hmm. and who I'm working with. I mean, it's all a natural sort of conflation of people and what happens you know it's sort of I don't take any responsibility besides guiding it in one direction or the other kind of but right um, I see now given your backgrounds and the way we've talked about uh, how you both came to music uh, and and established yourselves I wonder if you each have a sense of what first drew you to electronic or synthesized music John I want to take this to you first again we've established as foolishly as I have that you are, you started out as a physical drummer. What uh, what got you into different kinds of tones and sounds within, you know, the the the, pro- the practice of making rhythm, of creating rhythm? But yeah, that stuff. When did you first think, huh? That stuff I want to explore. I guess I was always pretty interested in music technology, even you know when I was like a teenager, uh, even though I didn't really have access to anything, obviously. But the idea of being a recording engineer was always something that fascinated me. And, you know, eventually I got there. But um, mm-hmm. I remember, I think it was in high school, one of my classmates had a Roland 727. And that was just, for me, that was like the ultimate thing, you know, to be able to to program beats and string them together and make songs. And uh, I I think that that, you know, really took root at an early age. And once I had more access to the tools, I just took advantage of it. Did you encounter any bizarre, I mean, maybe in retrospect, bizarre orthodoxy from people who were like, John, you're a physical drummer. Sorry, I'm going to stop making this joke. (laughs) John, you play real instruments. Now you're fooling around with this electronic machine what are you doing did you encounter any of that resistance no no No. not really i see i mean he still physically 
playing a lot of the stuff. <laughs> yeah, he's still a physical drummer. It's true. He's still yeah. got <laughs> sticks. He's beating on things. I, yes, so. that's right. I oh, think I'm sorry. That fools people. Yeah. Right. Sorry. The the seven two seven is. Uh, sorry, I may, I may be blank on this. What kind of uh, apparatus is that exactly? It was like the uh, prosumer version of an eight hundred eight or a nine hundred nine. Oh, basically. So it's a drum machine per se. Yeah, it's not, it's not yeah, drum yeah. not drum pads per se. No, it's a it's a pro, yeah programmable machine. Right. Yeah. So the synth the synthetic part of it. I mean, the fact that you could do anything, I can see why this would be appealing. Obviously, it's a weird, I must sound like a Luddite even questioning this in 2022. Like, really? The beats are all weird. But it was, at some point, this obviously had a huge impact on you. The The possibilities uh, must have seemed em- endless as you got into some of this uh, machinery. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, similar question. I mean, uh, the Sea and Cake has long employed uh, synthesized sounds if you will uh, do you know what uh, what compelled you to explore such things I, it, de- it definitely stems from uh, the sea and cake stuff and I think and John has always been a huge synth head before I even knew what like a modular synth was hmm. John had some you know and we used I think even on the first sea and cake record uh, the Putney right John or whatever that's so right it's yep. been part of our vote musical vocabulary since my entire career basically it wasn't until it was possible where things got a little bit cheaper about 15 years ago when i started to buy my own setup a bit so i've gradually evolved into being interested in electronic music in general and then i got into trying to you know build my own electronic studio which has taken years to get it to where it is now basically but even I just remember that on like the Fawn which is kind of the first very it's not all electronic record but electronic tools and stuff are very integral to that record of the scene and cake and at that time I did a lot of like demos and stuff in a rudimentary electronic studio where I was using like DJ samplers and, you know, Roland Juno and drum machines and stuff. So that was the beginning of me getting into that kind of stuff. For sure. This might, this might be a, an odd question at this point for you, Sam, but did you view the synthesized stuff as stuff you would work on as texture after? a song was maybe more... Sorry, how can I put this? Did you compose on guitar and then use the synthesized stuff as as texture making? Or did you start... As soon as you got into the, the synthesized stuff, did you use it as a compositional tool? Does that make sense? I'm try, I was just trying to... I did, not till later, you know, sort of like on uh, The Moonlight Butterfly has a long track that's based around one of my sort of modular synth riffs, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. But I think earlier on, John did a lot of this, most of the synth stuff, I, I guess. Or I don't really play keyboards and stuff, and so it sort of stems from that right. more. And John is definitely good at playing that. And also, he was just more versed in the tools at that time and, and had more developed ideas of what could happen with them in the context yeah. Of, you know, an indie rock band or whatever. But I did, so for later records, 
like Runner and Moonlight Butterfly, it, it was a mixture of starting things on uh, synthesizers and or guitar. Right, it's I a mean, mix. They're, they're not mutually exclusive. I mean, I could... Uh, although it's funny, I do not play guitar on this new synth stuff I've been doing much at all. I'm not sure why not, but yeah. Sorry, for the new record you mean? Like the one where... The new record and all of my solo right. modular synth records, except the first one, I think, has a little bit of guitar on it. Right, right. Okay, right. That's in- so that's interesting. So you've... And no vocals, obviously. Yeah, that's but. sad. Going back to what I... Just to call back to what I was saying earlier about you and your voice, miss it. Miss the voice. Well, the main <laughs> thing with no vocals is I think that's what people would hear and you wouldn't hear the other stuff yeah that's true we are yeah. you mean so just be different our ears are drawn to the singer is what you it would just take over you know yeah. basically yeah. and I, I i wanted to uh so i enjoy working on this music that doesn't concern singing or vocals or right stuff like that. no i can appreciate that john i want to ask mm-hmm. you the same sort of uh question about composition and technology i guess that's kind of what i was getting at in relation to your work in tortoise and the sea and cake um that, has that has that process evolved in any particular way that you can distinguish where it was pretty normal for the band to get together with their guitar, bass, drums kind of thing and then add textures? Or has that evolved where, hey, guys, I have this really beautiful, you know, synth stuff and can we build around that? Has that changed, do you think, for you, John? We've definitely gone more towards the process of working off singular ideas or demos rather than being in a room together. That's Mm. absolutely for sure. So, you know, now everybody's got a pretty decent setup at home to, to demo whatever it is they wish. So yeah, that, so it, some of the times we can start with a demo idea might actually end up in the finished product. That doesn't happen all the time, but it's not unheard of, but it, yeah, that, that can be an inspiration to get an idea off the ground, definitely. And, and so when you say, like in the context of Tortoise, for example, when people are demoing, you're all multi-instrumentalist. It, it can be anything, I'm guessing. It's not like, hey, Jeff sent us a guitar thing. Jeff could do anything, and is that fair? Like anyone could do anything. That is fair. <laughs> and that's what Good. that's what happens a lot of the time. Yeah, it's, it, yeah you, don't, you, you don't know what you're getting when you open up the file. You don't know what they've... What what has been played? Is that, I mean, is that similar for the sea and cake these days? Are you guys you're yeah you're spread out as well? I'm guessing, right? Well, for the last record, it was a little different. I think we decided not to do that in a way, and it was very oh, much yeah. more like guitar, live band sort of focused. The way we actually finished the record was definitely remotely. You know, like John would do a mix, and Archer and I would be like, uh oh, that sounds amazing but can you add this to it or change this or whatever yeah back and forth like that yeah so your backgrounds are i I guess what i'm getting at is your your backgrounds are quite interesting you employ frameworks that are familiar to those of us who like bands um but then you have all and, and it's not that you're not playing these things bands playing live instruments is what i'm getting at there versus um any kind of synthesized thing uh that is potentially preset or whatever I don't know. I, I, I think we're we're past all these kinds of orthodoxies, but I still... I was just talking to a band uh, on this show, and they made a really conscious effort to get away from synths after a couple of albums. 
and try to make like what they call the really rock and roll record. And I'm starting to hear that stuff bubbling up a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like the modes are really being considered. It's not just whatever happens, happens. Like people seem to be make some people anyway, are making conscious decisions about the sounds they're putting out based on the feeling or whatever happened in the room. Anyway, I don't know if I have a question there. John, do you kind of know where I'm coming from? You work with lots of bands too, I'm sure, still. And uh, you can kind of tell where aesthetically they might be trying to stretch out or get back to their core, if you will. Do you see a lot of this oscillation between more technological um, approaches to what I can... Again, this is very clumsy, but more organic ones. Do you see a lot of that in your work, John? Uh, it's hard to make generalizations. I I feel like um, what I've been noticing most lately is that there's a a great deal of openness to all kinds of orchestration ideas. And mm. I've been mostly mixing projects for people, not, not doing so much production or engineering. And it's been really fascinating how, I mean, these projects that have been coming in have all been great. And about half of them have real horns or strings. And it kind of, it's kind of blowing my mind that people are making the effort to, <laughs> to actually get the, get the players in the room to do these things. It's really interesting. That yeah. Cool. That's kind of where I'm coming from. And that's Sam, do you know where I'm coming from there? Like, is your ear kind of as a musician or a fan, do you find that your ears sometimes are like, I'm sick of this particular mode, whether it's distorted guitars or a modular synth sound, I need to switch to another. Do you find you have that as a creative person and as a, a fan of music? I guess somewhat, but in my opinion, any of it can be not interesting or very interesting. So uh, the, <laughs> the genre or tools don't really matter so much. I guess you could be good at or bad at either one. So it doesn't... Absolutely. Right. I just... I think John's observation and experience... I find fascinating because we live in such a weird, technologically distant and mediated time that the notion that people are actually making the effort to be like, no, I want a real horn on here. I don't want a, a preset. I don't know, John, is that saying something like beyond... I don't know if it's a grand statement about anything, but... I do feel like people are clinging for things that are real in this time of maybe it's a post-pandemic thing of just like all we've done is live virtual lives, most of us, many of us, and I need to hear a real drum kit on stage. I'm sick of I'm sick of the grids. I'm sick of, you know, I can't just have these binary codes in my ears all the time. Anyway, this is not to disparage any particular music. I'm just feeling like I'm just trying to capture the mood or rather ask you about whether you think that's maybe out there. It sounds like you're saying maybe that's, that is sort of circulating right now. That kind of, I think think it's true. I mean, I don't know if you've been to many concerts since things kind of opened back up, but it's, I, I feel like there's pent up demand for that sort of uh, connection for sure. I've been to two. I Uh went, I went and saw Godspeed, you black emperor. Uh-huh. And and I saw my friend Sarah Harmer play. That was it. Both, yeah, like, you know, rock-oriented, if you will. And I was distracted by the fact that I was at a show. I don't even know if I remember the show. I was like, oh, my God, I'm at a show. <laughs> right. What the hell? It's been like two years. But uh, 
but yeah, I think there is a clamoring for it. Anyway, I appreciate your thoughts on it. I I just uh, oh, yeah. I figured you might have some. So let's get to this uh, this collaboration because uh, as far as I so we've established in this conversation, and those who know you both know you've been what's it been thirty years of working together, Sam? Probably in some capacity. I guess so. Yeah. John, are you keeping track? Do you have an accurate figure on that? I I think we recorded the first album in '93. Oh wow! So, yeah, pretty. We're getting up on it. Pretty yeah. close. That's pretty remarkable in itself. But but John, this is the first official sort of duo collab with Sam. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Right. So let's talk about this. How did this come about? Uh, who initiated it? I want to go to Sam. Can you pick up where <laughs> I left off there and tell us how this began? How did it begin? I was invited to play a festival in Berlin. Funny enough, the name of the festival was Synth and Drums Fest. I see. <laughs> and he asked me if I was interested. I'm like, oh, sure, l- let me see what I can do. And I asked John, and I think, John, you probably agreed immediately, I think. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, and then we actually just showed up. We did not rehearse we just somehow thought it could work, and that's how it started. And I think we were both pleasantly surprised at that time, even. Now, g- given the given the name of the festival, is it dumb, super, super dumb for me to ask what you both played? John, what did you guys play at this uh, festival in Berlin that's called Synths and Drums? I played the physical electronic drum. <laughs> so, <laughs> what is what was that exactly? You were... You were physically hitting things? Well, it's one of my main instruments for this project. It's the uh, Nord E-Drum. It's a, it's a physical controller with six pads on it. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. I see. And you hit it so with you were, sticks. And you, yeah. hit, you hit it with sticks. Um, yeah. Right. Right. Nice. And so you're playing that, and then... Uh, so you're you're basically... Is, is, that, is that the role distinction here? John, you're handling beats. Sam, you're handling... Most other things, Sam. I mean, the stuff I'm dealing with is also rhythm based, you know, so it's a very give and take. And John also plays melodic elements as well. So I think that's why it works. It's very commingled and, you know, the things come in and out of focus, like who's doing what and when. And it's very on the spot and very live. And I think that makes it the roots of this project, I think, make it quite interesting that it started as a live project and that's what we've always done with it and this record is based around several live performances basically oh beyond that first festival well then we ended up playing a lot more many more shows and we've done at least two tours since then I'm not, or at least one other European only in Europe yeah, two tours in Europe yeah yeah And we played in Portland and Chicago. So we've not played a ton, but a fair amount, yeah. I want to home in on the brazenness and bravery of two people saying, hey, we've been asked to go to Berlin in Germany. Let's go there with no plan and no real idea of what we're going to present and just see what happens. Am I capturing what Sam said accurately, John? Is that basically what happened? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that is what happened. That it, uh, we, and we had no fear whatsoever about it. It is kind of weird. Yeah, I don't know. I, we just knew it was going to work. I don't know. You know, that's how it goes. I'm just saying, if, if I'm going to get on an airplane, 
for anything. I'd like to know what I'm doing on the other end. I want a plan. I'll have a day timer. I'll have something. You guys had nothing. You just knew what the time was. And I know that this is very common in your circles and mine to improvise. But no fear, John, really? Like, not even like, what? who's starting? What's going to happen? You didn't have that at all? No. No. And the other I mean, crazy yeah, thing is we had shows after that festival set up. Like, if it had totally bombed, I mean, it could have been a disaster for like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I say th- I say this with all due respect. This is the most American thing I've ever heard. Uh, that is amazing that you would feel so bold to do that. So what? What? Are, and the new record actually features uh, compositions, uh, at least one composition that emanated from the Berlin show, right, John? That's not quite correct. One, uh, the first track is from Dusseldorf. a show on that on that tour, I believe. Yeah, oh, I see. In Dusseldorf, yeah. And then the the really long piece is from the Chicago show from last November. Now, now when we say from, do you mean the recording is from that actual the concert? F- the foundation of it is, yeah. Right, right. It has a lot of other elements that were laid over it, and it was pretty heavily edited, too. But it comes from that show. Not the first track, though. Not the first track. The long one. Right. The, track, yeah. track three, yeah. Right, which is uh, very interesting and swirly. It's called a, a yellow robe, I believe. Is that correct? That's it, yeah. And at one point, I thought a phone was ringing. Sam, is there a phone ringing on that song? Um, quite likely, yeah. You mean it, <laughs> like a ringtone kind of thing? <laughs> There's some, the music is all about ringtones all over all over the stuff, yeah. Is that correct? Is it ringtone-based? No, I'm I'm joking. <laughs> There is the sound of a fax machine on the first track, though. Right. So it's about communications. That's what my English essay is going to be about when I write one. <laughs> about sons of. It's all about communicating with people. Uh, no, that's 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 fascinating in itself. So did somebody capture those performances? Did you guys record what you were doing on some level just so you had it to work off of when you got into the studio, John? Yeah. Um, you know, because... Our setup is so minimal. We're basically just two stereo tracks. We yeah. try to record everything uh, whenever we do play. So it's been great having all that material to go through and, and find little nuggets to work from. Yeah. Well, I don't... This is the kind of project in particular where there's no lyrics, and I don't want to spend... I don't want to uh, ruin it by describing the music too much, and I feel like I've already given it away. If you hear a fax machine, listeners, if you hear a fax machine or a telephone ringing, go answer them. Let's just say that. It's not necessarily the record. It, I don't want to ruin surprises here. But no, it is it is really wonderful. I, I will say something happened to me with it. I was playing it in the office, and my seven-year-old daughter walked by, and I didn't talk to her at the moment. But then later she was like, uh, yeah, you were listening to techno music, Papa. And I said, uh, I thought two things. One, my daughter knows what techno music is i don't even that's like such a do, do people still say techno music john is that a term i think it is do people still say it i thought it was electronica electronic music i thought it was kind of a 90s thing but the second thing that occurred to me is that means i don't normally listen to techno music because she made a point of saying <laughs> you were listening to techno music papa sam is this uh the kind of music that you spend a lot of time listening to yourself uh, like electronic or as my daughter might call it techno music I guess so. Yeah, I tend to favor 
this sort of stuff over like yeah I, I guess I don't listen to like rock bands so much anymore that's what I was um, wondering about I, I feel like you mentioned this perhaps the last time um, do you know why that might be I don't know why I, to be honest I listen to I don't listen to that much stuff actually I because I, I feel like when I'm working on my own music I don't listen to other stuff right and now with this home studio and all the stuff around me and this is problematic perhaps I listen to less music than ever <laughs> although I hear more music than ever in a way it's a real conundrum I hear more of me and less of everybody else I, I should change I should change that probably it, it sounds both great and a little selfish I think that's what you're getting at it's kind great of, yeah yeah John have your listening habits shifted uh, in any particular way in recent years Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think like everybody else, it's just fragments of things and can't keep anything in your consciousness for more than 12 hours, really. Is that worrisome it's, to you, that there's no... Absolutely. It's <laughs> totally <Yeah>. worrisome. <laughs> Do you mean as a as a fan or as a creator you find that worrisome? As a human, I don't know. Hmm. It's just like, what I, I used to devour music and like go so deep with it now it's like oh that was interesting oh right. goodbye so okay. is this I, I make this case all the time that when I was a kid and I first heard uh, Enter the Wu-Tang by Wu-Tang Clan I someone dubbed me a tape or I dubbed the CD or whatever the record was and I had it in my car tape player and it would just that's all I would listen to for a summer to the point where I knew yeah. every lyric and I can't tell if I'm I know I'm older the the reflex is to think that that's not happening as much anymore uh, because we're so inundated with stuff. John, what you're saying kind of seems to, and I, I don't know what experience you're citing beyond your own, but it does seem to bear out that maybe we're potentially all of us spending less time deeply listening. Is that what you're kind of getting at? Absolutely, mm. yeah. And it's not just yeah. that you and I are old and we don't know what our kids are doing. Or the the kids I, are doing. I don't know. Well, I mean, how how do your kids consume? So music? yeah, it's, it's my daughter to, is obsessed with uh, Billie Eilish. Of course, right. Many but, people's daughters are, and she listens to it over and over again and constantly, okay. and she knows right. it inside out. So at some deep, you know, she has a deep connection to that to those records and that music. Um, See, I think th I think you're right. My children are a bit young, uh, ten and seven, right? Uh, and there's so much music playing in the house from me, just preparing for interviews that I'm worried they're going to hate music. So or one take thing, it for granted. I, I've had a wonderful time exposing my kids to like stuff that I think is really good. That's been helpful. Mm -hmm. and we, yeah, me too. We I mean, took a yeah. road trip not too long ago where it was just me and the two of them for like eight hours. Yeah. And we, all three of us, obsessed over Frank Ocean for about five of those hours. And it was amazing. Oh, there you go. And we did some hardcore <laughs> deep listening to that. I mean, we played it over and over. And it was wonderful. So I think Road Trip, good way to save your music appreciation. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. just did a road trip with my family on uh, this past Sunday. And I just decided to tell my phone, which is hooked up to my car. Sorry, guys, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging about my fancy car. Uh -huh. But you can plug your phone right into it. And you can tell the phone what to play. It's weird. 
So yeah. I was like, hey, phone, uh, play uh, the Purple Rain soundtrack by Prince, because someone brought it up in an interview recently. And my son had his uh, their uh, headphones in for a while, listening to whatever they were listening to, and then they, they took him out, and they were like, oh, I hate Prince. Ten years old. Hates what? Prince. I'm like, what? How? How do you even... <laughs> and by the way, he used to like Prince when we used to play Prince in the house when they were like five or six. So and it just knee-jerk, he, I think they heard someone say Prince sucked on the internet or something, and then just decided they didn't like it. Anyway, sorry, this is way too... This has nothing to do with you guys. I just needed some parenting advice. Okay. Uh, John, do, do you... <laughs> John, can you... Rela- but but John, this what, what you're hearing from Sam in particular, uh, I think is maybe flies in the face of what maybe you and I both think is going on. Maybe people are listening. Is it just because we're old? I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. I think some people are deeply listening and have fanatic... Some artists have these fanatics, but I don't think... I don't know. Something about maybe your generation and mine, where we have to move quickly uh, past things now. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. What's what's funny is that I think this new thing that where we're making these really long compositions sort of flies in the face of this limited attention span. And I was going to say, I feel like I'm deep listening all the time, but only to my own self, which is the problem. Well, I, I mean, I love the 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 structure of these songs and how they build and build and build, and also don't, in some ways, change too much um, into my ear. I don't know. If, I'm generalizing, of course, about this record, but it's soothing. If I the consistency is is soothing, is what I'm getting at. There is that. Right. Was that conscious on your part, John? I don't know exactly how conscious it was, but, you know, I think like Sam said before, it's a matter of following the work. And it's really interesting that we're doing this now because we've never, you know, as individuals, well, I I think Sam's solo work has has some longer pieces. But Hmm. for me, definitely, this is a whole new ballgame in terms of working on these extended pieces and um, seeing how our contributions can inform each other. And, and I think it's been really uh, exciting to see how that plays out. Sam, is the consistency of a piece and just like, I, I appreciate what you've said and what John is alluding to there in terms of following where things go, but is that notion of creating these long pieces and letting them play out and in, in a way, not oscillating that much. Is that important to you? Well, it's something we've arrived at, but it stems from, the live shows basically and the reason how i landed into this playing one long piece is because i physically can't play anything other than one long piece with the equipment that i'm using and i've become interested in oh i see so it's sort of part nature of the instrument that you start somewhere and end up somewhere else a a half hour later Hmm. kind of thing and it's um it's a hallmark of the sort of improvising DNA of this stuff as well. You know, it's sort of that you give it time to evolve and to sort of distinguish itself. I mean, there can be periods where it's not great, <laughs> but that you're hoping that you get to where there's a payoff all along the way, kind of. Yeah. I mean, for this record, we tried to make sure that there was enough happening at all times and that it made sense and it was a natural progression from one part to the other and that there was 
enough to listen to for a half hour solid of one piece kind of well as i said it's it is really it's a fun listen like i enjoy listening to it uh and i hope people check it out uh, before we wrap up i do want to ask about a couple things one uh the album art uh there are two cats staring at me on my screen as i'm talking to you and i'm mesmerized by the cats they seem to be sitting on a I think it's a washing machine. I don't think it's a dryer. I think it's a washing machine. It is a dr- it is a dryer. Oh, it's actually. a dryer. Oh, I'm sorry. That changes yeah. my whole frame of questioning. <laughs> what? Uh, whose cats are these, uh, John? Uh, those those cats are mine and Heather's, and their names are Jackie and Lamar. Oh, Jackie and Lamar. What is the origin story of their names? Well, I can tell you about Lamar. <laughs> he's the he's the one in the background mm-hmm. on the in the photo. Yeah, we were. Originally going to call him Lamont, but a friend of ours was visiting, and we said, "Oh, this is Lamont." He said, "Oh, that's not Lamont. His name is Lamar." <laughs> okay. And we said, "You know what, Aaron? You're right. You are absolutely right. That's Lamar." And Jackie is actually named after Yaki Liebzeit from Cannes, the drummer oh, from Cannes. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And do they spend? Uh, I can see the dryer, the top of a dryer. Being very comfortable, do they often spend time <laughs> sitting on the warm but, lid of the dryer? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Nice. They look, they look dozy. They look sleepy. Uh, they, they look pretty stoned, don't they? Yeah, they, they do. <laughs> yeah. Just vibing off the dryer. Now, uh, the, no, that. Thank you for explaining that. It's a, it's a. Sorry, I guess I should ask. Any particular these days uh, with our phones and whatnot, you take a photo and you're like, oh, if you're a musician, you're like this could be an album cover. Is there any significance? To the pair of cats on a dryer in relation to this project, uh, John? None whatsoever. Just a nice photo like, of your cats. But it, we thought it was a nice. Uh, it was complimentary to the album title. Like, what? What does that? What does that have to do with that? I don't know. Yes, that's what I wanted to ask about as well. And John, you and I have had uh, conversations about tortoise and naming pieces, uh, and how it's a often you. I, I'm paraphrasing. As I recall, naming a, a song in Tortoise can be kind of a last-minute album artwork is due, got to come up with something kind of process. Is that, am I capturing Very that? much so, right. yes. <laughs> Sam, can you speak to the album title, Sons Of, and also potentially uh, tell us a bit more about how the song titles, which are evocative in their own way, A Ghost at Noon, Crossing at the Shallow, A Yellow Robe, Ascending by Night, uh, those are all very interesting in themselves. How did these names come about? The titles are all very collaborative. Oh. Mostly stemming from John, and then I'm editing, I guess, somewhat. Okay, so I... I think they're some of the best titles of any release we've done yet. John, <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> okay, uh, that's, that's bold. Bold. You guys are so brazen and bold. Mm-hmm. Flying to Berlin with no plans, saying they're the best titles <laughs> of all time. No, that's good. <laughs> no. Yeah, John. Do you have a sense of uh, how these th- th- these words just floated to you guys, or is there some meaning uh, relevance to each tune? I guess is where I'm trying to get to. Hmm. I I can't honestly tell you why we chose each title for each song. It just seemed to make the most sense in terms of the flow of the titles. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's a there's a little narrative going on there, as obtuse as it may be, but um, it just really like f- that felt like the correct order for the titles to be in. 
My、uh, English degrees are failing me right now. Is it possible that if you say each、uh, of the song titles, you end up in a. It's not a haiku, is it? No. You've got, if you say it as a thing, a ghost at noon crossing at the shallow, a yellow robe ascending by night. That's a poem. That's some kind of poem, right? Yeah. It's a poem. Yeah. Okay, good. All right, my English degrees are working. Sons of, <laughs> what does Sons of mean? Sons of is actually,、uh, I got that. It's a title of a Scott Walker track. Ah. That I, that I always loved because it's so, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like Sons of. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, do you know that track? I don't off the top of my head. I should check it out. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. great. But, you know, like when I first brought it up to Sam, he's like, ah,、oh, it's still too much like Sons of the Pioneers. I'm like, yeah, we just don't, don't think about that sort of stuff. Just think of it as a standalone and it becomes kind of interesting. Oh, okay. All right. I'm going to do、it's、some. Really, I, I really like the little O and the big O. It's very.、Uh, Graphically pleasing. Yeah. Son, yeah. Sons of. Yeah. It's also fun to say. I, there's probably some、mm-hmm. technical term for what that is. Sons of. Yeah. It, it almost sounds like one word.、Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, no, it's lovely. All right. I think we've, we've gotten to the bottom of everything we're going to get to the bottom of with Sons of potentially. I don't know. Is there anything, Sam, do you, do you want to share anything further with the listeners? Something we may have missed about this record and this collaboration? Well, I just want to say we're. Really excited about this project. I, I actually can't wait to make another record. Yeah. I think this is sort of、yeah. an interesting record because we agreed to do something kind of, you know, and we're like, okay, let's see if we can pull off that live track, you know, and see what happens. And I think it grew beyond our expectations of what we we're going to do. And so now it's, I'm primed to make another record as soon as, nice. you know, soon if possible. For sure.、And、I mean, we, the, sorry. I was、oh, just going to say that the original concept for this was to be, we were just going to release the Chicago show in its entirety.、Hmm. And then once we started to dig into it a little bit, we realized that that needed a lot of work and that we also had all these other things kind of floating around. And it was, it became clear that it had to become more of a production. And that's why it ended up where it is now. And yeah, looking, looking forward to doing more for sure. Is, has that process of working together again already started, John? In some sense, because we did have to do a bonus track for the Japanese version.、Mm. So the, the wheels are still turning for sure. Yeah. Okay. That's great. And we have a show in about a month in, in、uh, Portugal. And so I've been preparing you know, a new set of material for that. So, oh, great.、Um, And that could be the foundation for you know, the next record or whatever. Oh, so the Portugal、yeah. show will be somewhat improvised? Is that what you're saying, Sam? It'll be not stuff from this record. It'll be.、Uh, if you're familiar with this record, you'll sort of know what to expect, kind of, but it'll be all different, all new, yeah. Oh, nice. That sounds great. So,、mm-hmm. in keeping with that, do you have any other future tour dates at this point, Sam? Beyond the Portugal show, I mean? Not until next year, I think, probably, but we're hoping to go to Japan maybe in the fall. We still need to play in the U.S. more. We haven't done too much of that yet.、So. I see. Okay. No, It still seems a little risky to like, book a tour be- with COVID still. S- stuff seems to still get 
canceled all the time, and so it's kind of yeah. And people are getting yeah. sick. I mean, artists who are touring are getting sick, and yeah, it's uh, exactly it's so, a rough one. Yeah. Okay. We might hold out until next year, I guess, probably. But. Now, uh, I should ask. So we've we've covered this. Sounds very exciting, and I can't wait to hear more of this, and hopefully, maybe somehow see it myself mm-hmm. live somewhere. Somehow, I live in Edmonton, Alberta. Now, I don't know if you guys knew that. Uh, we've only ever spoken in. Well, I lived in Ontario, but uh, right now I'm here. I'm away. I feel like John. John, when you moved, did you feel disconnected from? I mean, you lived in big cities, so maybe you weren't that disconnected. But when you're in that small town in California, did you feel like where the hell? I can't see anybody. What's going on? Uh, there was a good community of people there, so it didn't feel that disconnected. But it was uh. just, um, you know, it was. We were like an hour and fifteen minutes away from the airport, which got to be a real drag. Oh. So. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I see. Okay. Anyway, enough about me. Um, Sam, do you have other plans, uh, other projects do you, uh, that uh, have stuff in the offing that you want to talk about at all? I'm just doing this. I, I have a, a solo record EP coming out in uh, September on a German label. I just did a long form. Are you familiar with long form editions? It's like a band camp label kind of thing. Oh, yeah, that sounds familiar. Is that the and one? Do they put a book sometimes? Not books, but everything is long pieces. Oh, so, I see. Which Sorry. is funny because that's how I started doing this long stuff in a way, in some ways. Oh, so okay. Okay. I have a new thing that's released on that that came out like maybe a month ago. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. Okay, I have a so- lot of uh, synthesizer stuff. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Stuff going on. But, mm-hmm. And. Is what's the sea and cake status? The last time the band put out a record, I would have saw you play at the Lee's Palace in Toronto, I believe. That was, gosh, that was a while ago. Now, is there any? Are there any sea and cake plans percolating? Not yet, but I could see something happening. Oh, soon. great! Okay, I mean, awesome. You know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like you're both busy, John. I've seen and heard from. Uh, members of the band, the Tortoise, are working on things. Is there, or specifically, uh, in the studio, uh, any updates there? We'd had two sessions that were very productive, and um, there's a a lot of material there that kind of needs to be sorted through at this point. And we are playing a, a short run of dates in early October, and then we're going to take it from there. Oh, great! That's awesome. So that band. Yeah been a kind of a while it feels like since that band was kind of fully active is that fair to say I, sorry time is blurring together for me and i moved and i don't even know what how long it's been has it been a while it's been a while i mean yeah. our last release was in 2016 right but we, we'd, we'd been to we were had been playing all the way up till uh, the pandemic right okay yeah. right so you were active okay any any yeah. other Projects or things you want to talk about, John? Do you want to tell people more about uh, Soma and other things like that? Well, um, yeah, I'm just working out of my house here and mixing lots of records for people. So always, always taking on new work. If anybody has a record they need mixed, <laughs> <laughs> so mostly mixing, not recording. Is that what you're getting? At? Yeah, mostly. Yeah. yeah. Are you done with recording? No, no, not at all. Okay, okay. It's just, just that sure. my. No, no. It's just my situation here is more, more suited for mixing. Okay, cool. Now, if people want to learn more about uh, Sons of and and this project and and you guys, Sam Precop and John McIntyre is the name of the uh, the entity, if you will. Uh, 
they can go to Thrill Jockey's website. Um, Sam, is there anywhere else you want to send them uh, if they want to learn more about you specifically or any of your work? Thrill Jockey's good. I do a lot on uh, Instagram. I post a lot of like synth stuff and photo things. You can just search my name. It'll come up. Still very actively doing some photography? Um, not as much, but I could. I, I want to get back to it. I mean, I still post stuff, but I haven't been actively taking as much photos as I used to. But that could change did, any minute. Did you take this photo of uh, Jackie and Lamar? No, Heather did. <laughs> <laughs> just, just wondering. Uh, and John, if people want to learn more about you, as I say, or follow you, if you will, uh, where would you like to send them? Uh, SomaStudios.com and also Instagram. Okay, cool. Now, if we can go out on a song uh, from Sons of... I wonder if uh, this is this can be dicey. I'm going to ask one of you to pick it, but the other gets veto power. If the other one doesn't like it, we have a big fight. So I'm going to go to uh, Sam. Sam, can you pick a song from the new record for us to go out on? Uh, I'd go for the first one, A Ghost at Noon. Ghost at Noon? Why did that come to mind? Well, it's not 20 minutes long, you know. It's like seven. <laughs> That's helpful. <laughs> But it's about eight minutes long, I think. Seven fifty-two is what I'm seeing here. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. A ghost at noon. That's that's a fair choice. It's a good introduction to the record. Mm-hmm. John, do you want to veto? Are you are you in agreement? I'm in totally in agreement. This is great. What a great uh, collaborative entity this is. <laughs> Fully agreement. <laughs> See full, how it full works. agreement. Yeah. <laughs> I do now. I'm, I get it. This is a ghost at noon by Sam Precop and John McIntyre from their beautiful new record, Sons of uh, Sam. John, always a pleasure to speak with you. I hope. Uh, you enjoyed yourselves and uh, that we talk soon and best of luck in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Vish. Thank you so Thanks, much. Vish. Thank you.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Very, very, very nice to have Sam Aprikop and John McIntyre back on Creative Control, this time appearing on the 704th episode, I want to say, of Creative Control. I think that's right. Sometimes it's hard to count to 704 as I'm doing this outro. I'm sorry. But I believe that is correct. This is the 704th episode of Creative Control. And uh, it's part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't locate an episode that you're trying to find, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com and like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash Control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content. And uh, some of that's derived from current interviews that I'm doing now. I go a little OT, very short usually, uh, sometimes, but extra. It's still extra. I didn't mean to downplay the, the extraness. It is extra stuff, and it's sometimes very uh, interesting. Um, uh, sometimes I'm really underselling this. Anyway, that's what I do. And other times I dig into my audio archives and Maybe find my old interviews with uh, members of Tortoise or something, and I post them up there on the Patreon. Anyway, $6 or more a month grants you access to that content, but you can also donate any amount you want. You can change it anytime you want. Uh, you can cancel or re-up anytime you want. It's very simple. And also, we still have some t-shirts left, so if you want one, just message me on Patreon. I'll get you one while I can, while they're still around. Again, patreon.com slash Control. For more info about that, uh, thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, both uh, cities located in Ontario, Canada, for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to Jim Guthrie, who is also in Ontario. Uh, he lends me some music for the show, and you can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with uh, Sam and John. I hope you enjoyed it, and... Uh, and, and you're intrigued to check out their excellent new record and maybe go see them live 
It's a great, great record. I also want to thank you for subscribing to this podcast or following it and telling your friends all about it, which really does help spread the word and uh, and get it some, you know, more ears and minds and hearts and eyes and hands. Is it bodies? It's just more bodies. Anyway, thank you so much for all of that. I hope you're well and that uh, I'll talk to you real soon. Okay, thanks again. Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.